0: Aren't you glad that our past doesn't define us? Isn't that a good thing? Okay, the answer is yes. All right, there you go. <laughs> um, Dan Crane, he's actually with Crane Mattress here in Tiffin and Fremont. But uh, he's just one example of one of, of one of us in our church family who, uh, we don't have perfect pasts, Right? I mean, we all have things in our life that we look back on and we, you know, we're like, man, I really regret doing that or I really regret making that uh, decision because none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. All right, how many of you have felt regret before? Right, okay, all of us, right? We've all felt that. Uh, last week, this past week, I, uh, I really felt that for one thing. The, uh, I had some vacation days that I had to use up. And so um, Kate and I, we actually took the kids and we went to Chicago to visit her family for a few days. And then on Thursday of this past week, we, uh, Chick-fil-A in Sandusky was having the grand opening. Now, how many we got any Chick-fil-A fans in here? Okay. All right. I like Chick-fil-A. My wife likes Chick-fil-A. My kids like Chick-fil-A. And it has an indoor playground. So it really works for us. Okay. So Chick-fil-A, whenever they do a grand opening, whenever they open up a new restaurant, they have this thing. If you're one of the first 100 people, they will actually give you a card with 52 free meals. Basically free Chick-fil-A for a year is what they say, but it's just one meal per week. So you get free, or 52 free meals for an entire year. And so for me personally, for our family, I'm like, I want that. You know what I mean? But the catch is you gotta be one of the first 100 people. And people start lining up, early. So Chick-fil-A opens up at 6 a.m. On, uh, on, on last Thursday in Sandusky. And so I go on Wednesday, all right, you get what's going to happen here. I go on Wednesday actually at 4.45 in the afternoon and I jump in line. And actually I went with a couple of Tiffin University students that come to church here. And, uh, and we we're prepared, all right. If you don't remember last week, last week was pretty warm except for Wednesday night. It was like 19 degrees, okay? That was kind of annoying, but, uh, and I, but I knew I had, you know, I had warning that that was gonna happen, and uh, so I bundled up, you know, I went layer after layer after layer after layer. We took a tent. It's gonna block the wind, and uh, we're gonna have to stay up all night, but we'll make it through. You know, it's not gonna be fun. I'm hoping that it'll just be okay. I think it can make this situation okay. You know, ever have that, where you're like, there's no hope for it to be good? But okay, I'll settle with. Okay, that's what I was doing. And so um, our goal is, hey, we're just going to sit around in this tent. We'll just play games. And maybe, you know, they, we brought Monopoly. And, you know, that game has never, I've never ever finished one of those games. But maybe with all this time, we might be able to finish the game. And so we're doing that. But then after a while, and it was, started off really good. We're sitting there. We're playing games. Chick-fil-A actually gave us dinner, all right, which is always good. But then fast forward a few hours, fast forward to like 1 a.m. I had been there for over eight hours and you're not allowed to leave the parking lot. And at 1 a.m. I'm literally in the fetal position on the ground laying on the only thing between me and the in the concrete is, you know, the thin, the thin, you know, tent liner bottom. And uh, and I am freezing. I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my feet. I am, I reach for my water, it's frozen. The top of our tent is like, is like an igloo. It's all ice because of our breath, which is kind of disgusting, all right? It was, it was terrible, all right? At about that time, as you're laying there and, and your body's like, you know, turn over, you know, and, but you're like, if I turn over, I might lose some heat and I might not ever be able to get that back, you know? Is <laughs> that about that moment where you're just like, you start rethinking some things, you're like, what am I doing here? I'm one of those weird f- people that sit out, you know, what is going on here? And let's just say, I had some major regrets going on. I would have given $400, that's about how much the cards worth. I would have given $400 to get out of there at that point, or just to buy the card, okay, it would have been worthless. But, but it, I ended up getting it, which was good, I think. But, uh, but I paid a heavy price for that. See, we all have that. I mean, we all regret things. And a lot of times, when we regret things that we've, or a decision that we've made in our past, a lot of times it's a lot more, you know, serious than sitting in the parking lot at Chick fil A for 15 hours, okay? It's a lot more serious than that. And a lot more, you know, most of you are a lot more smarter than that, too. But, uh, but what are we doing when we regret? What are we doing? When we're thinking about our past, Usually, I mean, with regret, it's always negative, right? I mean, it's always something that we wish we had never done, or we wish we had never said, or that decision we wish we would have never made. But the thing we got to remember, and what we kind of talked about last week, is that our past doesn't determine our future. Our past affects our future. Okay, we, we totally understand. We can't erase our past. Our past just doesn't go away. Our past affects our future, but our past does not determine our future, See, too many times I feel like a lot of us, what we do is we dwell on the past. We think, of, we think about the past. That's what we spend our time doing about our mistakes, about our regrets, maybe some opportunity that we missed out on. Maybe it was just some, maybe it was just one, maybe it was many, but maybe it was just one stupid decision that we made that seemed to alter the chain, or change the course of our life. And Really, that's what the series is about. All right, we're talking about hindsight. We're talking about our past. We're talking about our regret, regrets. And we're talking about how to move forward. Last week, we talked about Peter, right? Peter, one of the like, main disciples. If we go to church, we've all heard of Peter. Um, Peter, remember, he was one of those guys who was all heart, half mind. We all know people like that, okay? He was the guy who, who he didn't think before he spoke. And, uh, and, and Peter, he made some mistakes, in his life we'd see that one time, you know, one moment he's like all good and Jesus is saying, hey, good job, Peter. And then the next moment Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, Satan, get behind me. Like God, if God is calling you Satan or comparing you to Satan, it's not a good thing. Okay. That was Peter. Remember the night that Jesus died? They're all in the upper room and, and Jesus is explaining to them communion explaining to them that he's going to have to die and all this stuff. And uh, remember... Jesus says to all his disciples, say, hey, all of you guys, you're all going to fall away. And Peter's like, whoa, not me, Jesus. Hey, I'm right here, Jesus, do you see me? You know, I could see them falling away. All these other guys, yeah, they could fall away, but that's not me. I- I'm with you to the end. All right, remember, that's, that's Peter. Remember, just a few hours later, Jesus goes to Peter in the other garden, and, Peter's, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, what I need you to do is I need you to pray for me. Can you do that? Can you pray for me? All right, I really need you here tonight. Peter's like, yeah, I got this. I'm, I'm good. Peter keeps falling asleep. How many of you have ever, um, have ever been praying and, fall, and fallen asleep? Just a minute right now. Okay, yeah, same here. <laughs> that's Peter. Peter does it three times. And Jesus comes back to him three times. He's like, what are you doing? You said you could stay awake. Or you said you would pray for me. I really need you. About that moment, a mob comes into the garden to come arrest, uh, to arrest Jesus. And what's Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he starts, he's trying to kill people. All right, that's Peter. He's all heart. Right? He tries, to, he tries to kill a guy, and he actually, he actually gets a guy on his head. He just nicks him, though. He cuts off the guy's ear, and then Jesus yells at him for that, as if that was a good plan. And then after that, Peter runs away, because he's scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't want to get arrested. And then Peter kind of follows at a little bit of a distance in the shadows in the dark, and he's with John, and, and he goes into the courtyard of the court uh, where they're holding Jesus at the moment to try to figure out how to legally kill him. And remember, he denies Jesus one, two, three times, denies that he even knows Jesus. And the first time that he denies that he even knows Jesus is to like a a high school girl. It's like, come on, bro. That's Peter. Right, and then a few weeks after that, after Jesus has died and he raised him from the dead, and Jesus has even appeared to Peter a couple times, Peter decides, you know what, this whole Jesus thing, this whole, uh, this whole church thing that Jesus is going to do, I don't quite understand what's going on. He hasn't explained it to me. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm going back to fishing. That's what I knew. That's what Peter had done before. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to the way things were three years before. He says, I'm going back to fishing. And then they go out fishing. They can't catch anything. And then Jesus Jesus appears to him and, and Jesus explains everything. And remember, as they're sitting there on the shore, and actually Jesus cooks some breakfast, which is cool, which is sweet. And, uh, and they, they get there, and Jesus says, even though Peter has done all this stuff, even though Peter has, has denied Jesus and, and, and can't, you know, w- refuse to pray for him, and, and uh, you know, has been called Satan, all this, kind, all this stuff that Peter has done, Jesus points to him and says, I want you. I want you to be, I want you to lead I want you to be a leader in my church. I want to build this church off of you, Peter. See, after all Peter had done, God still used him. And his past didn't define him. It affected him. It did not define him. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this guy named Paul. Now, how many of you guys have heard of Paul before? Paul in the Bible. Apostle Paul. All right, Paul. Paul. Um, thing you got to know about Paul is that, and so this is a little confusing, but before Paul was known as Paul, he was known as Saul. Does that make sense? Okay, so Saul became Paul. He just changed, he just changed the letter in his name, okay? At least that he made it easy in that way. Um, and Saul... Before he became a Christian, Saul had a slightly negative uh, reputation within the church. Okay, that's another thing you gotta know. And his story really picks off kind of where we left off last week, which makes it convenient. Uh, Jesus, he, he's meeting with the disciples, and the last thing that Jesus says before, he goes back up to heaven for the last time. He says, hey, I got a job for you. Um, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to make other disciples. Basically, I want you to go, and I want you to tell everybody everything that, that I've done for them, that they can have a real, true relationship with me and that I love them and that I died for them. And so they go. All right, by the way, that is the same job that every single one of us in here, that, that if we, are, we truly have a relationship with God and we truly are Christians, we have the same job to this day. All right, we're in this too. But uh, so so the disciples go, this and and words starts spreading, okay? They start telling everybody that they possibly can. In fact, Peter, he stands up in the middle of Jerusalem, of the capital city, right where Jesus, a few weeks ago, had been arrested and, and crucified, all right? Peter stands up in the middle of Jerusalem, and he starts telling everybody. He starts preaching to everybody, and he's going at it. He's saying, hey, you guys killed the Messiah. You guys killed the Savior. The Savior that you have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, you killed him. You didn't just kill him. You killed him on a, on a cross. And he's just going to town on these people. And it says thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of people get saved. Thousands of people believe. And the church has automatically just become the first mega church. I mean, this, the church is, is growing by leaps and bounds within Jerusalem. And, uh, and obviously the religious leaders aren't super excited about that. Okay, the religious leaders are the ones who put Jesus to death just a few weeks before. And so what do they do? They actually go and they start having these people who, these Christians who are out there speaking, they have them um, arrested. And they have Peter arrested a couple times and, and they had, actually they had Peter and John, they had them flogged once, just beaten. And, um, and just to tell them, hey, you can't be doing this stuff. You can't be talking in the name of Jesus, in the meantime, there's this guy named Stephen who kind of steps up on the steps out in the scene. We don't know much about Stephen, and Stephen starts teaching too. And Stephen's one of those people that's like super to the point. You, you know people like that that just say things. Um, they don't beat around the bush at all. It's just like, you know, it, it's super direct. You know people like that. I really appreciate when people are like that. I'd rather people just tell me which tell me what you think. Don't you know. Don't make me guess. But uh, that's, who, that's who Stephen is. And so he starts going to town on these people. And, and the crowd and the religious leaders don't like it. Because Stephen's saying that they're the ones who put the Messiah to death. They're the ones who put the Savior to death. And the Bible tells us that they were enraged when they heard what Stephen had to say. Right? They weren't annoyed by it. It didn't just bother them. They didn't go home and they t- get on their computer and type an email and send it in and say, hey, you know, I didn't appreciate what you had to say. <laughs> they didn't go home and blog about it. They were enraged. And right when Stephen wraps up what he has to say, they actually rush him. They grab him. They drag him out of the city, and they end up stoning him to death. That means they throw rocks until you die. Okay, not the way I would want to go, but um, that's what they did. And... Um, one of the guys that's out there assisting with that is this guy named Saul. And that's where our story uh, picks up in Acts chapter eight, verse one. All right. He says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. we talking about Stephen. So Saul agreed with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a severe persecution, they broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men, they, they buried Stephen and they mourned deeply over him. And Saul, however, he was ravaging the church. All right, think about that. He's ravaging the church. He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and he would put them in prison. This is our first glimpse of Saul in the Bible, who is later going to become Paul. That's not good, right? I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a great, um, you know, first meeting of of the guy, Uh, Saul is there, or Paul, he's there watching Stephen as he gets stoned to death, watching Stephen as he gets murdered, and he was glad about it. Saul's there standing there, and he's like, yep, this is the right thing to do. This guy deserves to die. I didn't appreciate what he had to say. And then from that moment on, he begins ravaging the church, meaning he is dragging out people who say that they believe that Jesus was God. He's dragging them out, and he's throwing them in prison. These are husbands and wives, moms and dads, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. He he doesn't care who you are. If this is what you believe, he is taking you out. And uh, anyone who believes that this Jesus guy is God, I mean, in Saul's mind, he's just like, they should die. They shouldn't be allowed to live. See, the problem for Paul wasn't that he didn't believe in God. And I think a lot of times we get this mixed up because we think in our minds, we're like, well, I believe in God, so I'm good. Saul believed in God. Actually, Saul was more religious than any of us in here. Saul was super religious. He was a religious leader. We find out later that he was a Pharisee, meaning that he had he was an ultra-religious leader that had that was kind of in this special club of religious people, and he had parts of the Old Testament completely memorized. All right, that was Saul, that's who he was. But see, his problem wasn't that he didn't believe in God or that he didn't want to, to worship God or that he didn't want to to obey God. That's not that's not his issue. His problem was that he filled in the gaps about God to make God a projection of his own heart. See, he believed in the God that he wanted to believe in. He believed in a God of rules. He believed in a God who uh, of of commandments. He believed in a God who would never ever ever come down to earth in the way that Jesus did. That's not how his God would do it. He believed in a God that would never ever die like Jesus did. He didn't believe in a God of grace. See, that was Paul's God. Paul's God would want these people who call themselves Christians, who follow this Jesus guy, Paul's God would want those people put to death. Now, none of us in here, at least I don't think any of us in here, uh, go around trying to throw people in jail for what they believe, okay? We understand that. We don't do that. But this thinking that Paul has, his justification for why he did what he did, I think we do this all the time. We think the same way. As Paul, we may not do exactly what, what Paul or Saul did, but we think the same way. See, what I mean is that sometime in our past, <clears throat> maybe it was the last month, maybe it was last week, maybe it was 50 years ago, I don't know. But uh, sometime in our past, what we've done is we've, we've heard about God and we've, we've learned about God, and maybe we've learned that here at church, or maybe we've read the Bible or whatever, and we take the things that we like about God and we're like, oh yeah, I like that. I'm going to hold on to that. that. That sounds pretty good to me. But then there's some things about God that we don't like. We're like, oh, he punishes evil. I don't like that. He's perfectly just. I don't like that. Right? Because that means justice for me as well right? He sends people to hell, I, I, or he. The hell is a real place that he created. I don't, I don't like that. And so we pick and choose. What we end up doing is we pick and choose different parts about God that we like and different parts about God that we don't like. We reject the ones that we don't like, and we, we accept the ones that we like. And We end up forming our own God in our mind. I've talked to so many friends in my life where it's that don't believe in God or don't believe the gospel here in And a lot of times they'll say to me, they're like, I can't believe in a God who does this. I can't believe in a God who allow people to get sick. I can't believe in a God who would allow evil in the world today. I can't believe in this. I can't believe in a God who does this or this or this or this. What are we doing when we do that? We're making God the way that we want him to be. And for us, that might solve some personal or intellectual or emotional, you know, uh, argument in our mind, in our own mind. Not for anybody else, but our own mind. But that God will never, ever change you at your deepest level. That God can't. See, God has made us, we, we know from the Bible that God has made us in His image. But what we end up doing is we form God out of our image. And what you'll find is that that God that you project, that God that you've kind of created within your own mind, that God, surprisingly, is a lot like you. What you'll find is that that God agrees with you a lot, right? (laughs) You'll find that that God, you know, that you know more about that God than anyone else. And you seem to have most of the answers for that God more than anyone else because you made that God up. Because you created him within your own mind. That God makes you feel comfortable and that God makes you feel safe, but that God can never, ever change you at your deepest level, can't. Because for God to change you, you need a real God who doesn't agree with you on every little thing. Because you need a real God who tells you the things that you don't want to hear. You need a God who challenges you to change. And changing is uncomfortable. See, that is what Paul needed as he was dragging people out of their beds. He was dragging people out of their homes. In Acts chapter 9, the next chapter, we see this. He says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's breathing threats and murder. Okay, he went to the high priest. So he comes up with this plan. He went to the high priest and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus was a large city nearby. So that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christians back then because they didn't have a name because they're only a few weeks old. It says he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. All right, so this is Paul's, plan. His goal is to literally take people from their homes, arrest them, and then really parade them to Jerusalem so all can see, so that when they get to Jerusalem, that everybody would know that these people are going to be properly punished. That's That's Paul's plan here, all because these people didn't believe in his God. I mean, this guy is, this dude is dark, right? Like, this is dark. This is really, it's messed up. Paul, we see, actually later describes himself as as he looks back on his life, and I'm sure Paul obviously has regrets about things that he had done and and things that he had said. And and as Paul's looking back, he actually describes himself. He says, I was a, during this part of his life that we're looking at this morning, he says, I was a blasphemer. He says, I was a persecutor. he says, I was just an arrogant man. He's like, I was so arrogant. We see in other places, Paul, he, he described himself as the chief of sinners. He's like, you want to know about sinners? He's like, you want to know about sinning? I was number one sinner. That was me. I was like the worst person. I was fighting against God. But God didn't give up on him. Just like last week, God didn't give up on Peter. And just like today... God doesn't give up on us. The next verse says this is Paul's story. He says, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, I don't know how to, Saul, Saul, you know, something like that. (laughs) Maybe more deep. That's as deep as I can go. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. So you get what's going on here? We understand? Okay. He's on his way to Damascus. He's all pumped up. He's about to go arrest some people, drag some people out of their homes. It's going to be awesome. Praying him back to Jerusalem. Sounds like a good day. That's what, that was a good day for Paul, for Saul. And so he gets there, and, uh, or he, he almost gets there. He almost gets there. And then this bright light shines around him, all right, Paul, Saul, he he falls to the ground. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what to do. And then Jesus starts talking to him and is like, hey, what are you doing? Notice, by the way, that Jesus doesn't say, hey, why are you persecuting the church? That's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Or, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting... um, you know, the, the, the Christians here, why are you persecuting all the disciples? Why are you persecuting the people who follow me? Well, what are, what are you doing? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you notice that? Why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus and the church are together. Jesus identifies himself with the church. Now, this next part, this isn't really, um, doesn't really go, but I'm just just sticking it in because I think it needs to be said. There's no question, all right, at all, based on the Bible that we need to be involved in a good Bible-believing church. Okay, let me just say that. You read the Bible, there's no question that every single one of us those of us that are Christians, then we need to be involved in a good Bible-believing church. And when I say that, what I mean is you need to go, okay? In order to be involved with the church, you gotta, you gotta go to church. In the first church, the church that we're talking about here today, they went, they, they hung out with each other and spent time with, with each other every day, All right? I think it's good And I think God wants you to, we need to, really, we need to be involved with the church on a weekly basis. You got to go. Right? That's not something that you're in the habit of doing. I would encourage you make, you know, make that a habit. And guys, let me just throw this out at you. Guys, is your job as the leader of the home to bring your family to church? That's not all on your wife. Some of you guys, you just gotta step up and you need to make church a priority in your life because you should care about your kid's spirituality. You should care. You should care about your wife's spirituality. It shouldn't matter to you. You need to make that really a priority in your life. And so you need to go, but it's more than that. You really need to be involved. You need to join a group. You need to hang out with people at church, not just sit here in the same seat every week and don't talk to anybody and then walk out and I'll see you back next week. That's not what being involved in the church looks like, okay? You need to join a group. You need to to hang out with people. You need to serve. You know, rub some shoulders with people, with fellow Christians that are part of your community. That's what the church is supposed to be. Now, some people don't like that. Some people prefer the fast food, have it your way, one night stand type spirituality. Okay? Let me just say this. If that's you, make it as simple as I possibly can, as easy to, to you know, as simple as this. You're in sin. I don't know how else to say it. Okay? That, that, you're, you're in sin because the church is important to Jesus. Jesus and the church they are one and the same. And I get it. Sometimes, you know, we all think this is like, well, the church embarrasses me. I don't want to go to church. It, it just embarrasses me. Yeah, the church embarrasses Jesus too. You do too, by the way. We all do. Cuz we're all messed up sick people. Okay, we're all we're all sinners. See, if Jesus is going to identify with something as broken, and as embarrassing as the church, if Jesus is going to identify with a group of people that have a bunch of regrets about their past, just like we do here today, I don't get where in the world we feel like we are too good <clears throat> to also identify with the church. It makes no sense. Jesus can do it, but we're too good to do it? That's not right. See, Jesus and the church are one. That's actually the reason why Jesus is confronting Paul here. Because it matters. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, why are you persecuting me? And notice when Paul falls down and Jesus says that to him, and there's a bright light around him and all this stuff's going on. And Paul doesn't have an answer. He's just like, uh, who are you? What's going on here? He doesn't answer Jesus's question. And then Jesus says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up. I want you to carry on on your journey. I want you to go into Damascus. And when you get there, I want you to wait because I, I will tell you what to do next. By the way, let me just say this. He, notice Jesus doesn't explain everything to Paul. So he's laying there and he just says, get up and go to Damascus. I'll tell you what to do later. You notice, sometimes I feel like we get mad at God because we cuz we feel like well he didn't tell me what he was going to do. Or he I don't understand what he's doing. Well, God doesn't have to explain anything to us. Here's Saul lying on the ground. God's not explaining anything to him. He just get up and go. He doesn't say, "Well, you know, this is why I came in the way that I did and this is why I had to die and this is how your sins are involved." He doesn't do any of that. He just says, "Get up and go." And Saul, at that moment on, is blind, okay? Now, how many of you have ever looked at something super bright and it's kind of messed up your eyes for, you know, a lot of times just for a few seconds afterwards? You guys know what I'm talking about. For me, I have a, a little car and I'm not proud of that, so I'm not bragging about that at all. Someday I will have a big truck and I will appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to that day, by the way. But right now I got this little puny Saturn Ion. Who names a car? If it's named an Ion, you know it's small. So I got an Ion, unfortunately, and when I'm driving down like a two-lane road, and this like an average-sized car, right, like a Buick, I'm like riding on the ground, and it's like the lights are super bright. You know that? We've all been there where somebody doesn't turn off their brights, and you pass them on the road, and you're like just driving into the light, you know, you're just hoping that you don't hit, hit anything, you're just like stay to the right of the light, but you can't see anything afterwards or past that. Um, How many of you remember the solar eclipse that happened in 2017? Yeah? Okay. Okay. I actually looked it up um, earlier, or later, earlier, I guess, this week. Um, And uh, it's now called the Great American Eclipse. So I lived through the Great American Eclipse. That's pretty cool, right? The... uh, but you remember that? That was like August 2017. It was like this big eclipse. And the news media made it such a big deal about it that this, this hadn't happened for thousands of years. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And this is going to be awesome. It's this huge, special, you know, eclipse. And don't look at the, you know, you're not supposed to look at it at all. Because that can, you'll go blind if you look at the eclipse and all this kind of stuff. Well, I actually forgot about the eclipse. I, I, it's not my thing. I don't, you know, look at, get pumped up about that kind of stuff. Anyway, but uh, I was outside working in my ba- backyard that day that it, that it happened. And I noticed it. It like kind of got weird and darkish, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And it, was, and it was weird. I was like, oh, this is the eclipse. And I'm like, I know I shouldn't look at it. And I know the doctors are all about how you can't look at the, the eclipse. But I'm thinking our ancestors didn't. They have no special glasses. I could do it. And I, and I, like, covered my eyes. I, didn't have, I didn't, couldn't even find any glasses or sunglasses for this, so I'm like, I'm just going to do this. And I covered my eyes, and I started looking, because, you know, the moon is in front of the sun, and it's supposed to be darker. And, and, and I looked at it, and part of it might be because I was, like, studying it and trying to see exactly what was happening. And I'll be honest, it didn't look like, it looked like the sun, okay? I couldn't see anything that looked anything different. But it messed up my eyes. Like, bad. Like, I, for the next, like, for a while, for the next, like, three months, all, like, I was seeing, like, lines and stuff in my eyes. It was, it was super weird, and I thought it would never, I had people begging me to go to a doctor, um, and I was just trying to make sure my mom didn't find out about it, because I knew she would freak. But, uh, but yeah, my eyes were, like, messed up, because the solar eclipse is supposed to be, I don't know how this is possible, but in theory, it's supposed to be, like, brighter than the normal sun. I don't know, like light bends around the moon or something like that. It's supposed to be brighter than the normal sun. It's like, you're you're definitely not supposed to look at that. Well, look what Paul's doing. He looked up and he has like Jesus light coming down on him, right? This is like way brighter than an eclipse. This is like God light shining on him and, and he goes like instantly blind. By the way, I looked it up and there's another one of those eclipses in 2024. So the once in a lifetime thing, that was a lie. That really ticked me off when I saw that. I'm like, what? There's like, actually, there's another one in 2040-something. It's like, I had three of these in my lifetime, but whatever. I should have invested in the glasses, then I could have had them for three, but whatever. But here's Paul, or Saul. He's laying there. He is instantly blinded from the light. He can't see anything. Actually, he has to be led by the hand the rest of the way to Damascus because he can't see. He doesn't know where he's going, and he um, and he gets to town. And he, the Bible tells us that he sits around for three days. Imagine what he might be thinking about that, that about that moment. Well, what was he thinking about? You think he has any regrets going on where he's like, "Oh yeah, I helped murder a guy, and then I helped, then I took." I took people out of their homes, and I put them in prison, both men and women, and now look what I'm doing here. I'm here trying to put more people in prison, this is what I enjoy doing, and this is my thing. You know, do you think he had any regrets going on? He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how long he's going to be blind for. He doesn't know why God hasn't, you know, just struck him down already. I mean, he's got a ton of regrets, and he's sitting there for three days thinking about that. In the meantime, God or Jesus comes, and he appears to this guy named Ananias. Now, Ananias, new guy, this is a guy who is a Christian living in Damascus at that time, and Jesus goes to Ananias. He says, hey, Ananias, what's up? Um, hey, there's this guy named Saul, and Saul is in this such and such house, and Ananias, what I want you to do is I want you to go, and this is gonna be kind of weird, but just do it. I'm gonna put your hand on his head, and when you do that, I'm gonna give him back his sight. It's gonna be cool. And Ananias is like, whoa, I don't know about that. God, I don't know if, or, you know, Jesus, God, I, I don't know if you got the memo, but this Saul guy, he's the guy that was there when Stephen was put to death. He actually, in Jerusalem, he was, he's been dragging people out of their homes to put them in prison. Did you, did you miss that part? Actually, Jesus, I don't know if you understand, but this is the guy who's coming here to arrest me. And he's going to drag me, he's going to parade me back to Jerusalem so that I can be properly punished. And he's coming after my family. And He's coming after our church here. I don't think, you know, you might want to rethink your plan here because I, I think it's probably pretty good that he's blind. Right? That's, a, that's a good thing. And Jesus, he doesn't say, he doesn't explain everything to Ananias. But he does say, no, I want you to go. Just do what you're told. And I ends up going, he lays his hand on Saul's head, and Saul um, receives his sight back. And then verse 19, he says, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, but immediately, check this word out, immediately, like that day that he gets his sight back, it says, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astounded and said, isn't Wait, 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 wait. Isn't this the man who is in Jerusalem, who is causing havoc for these people who are called, who called on this name, Jesus? And didn't he come here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Isn't this that guy? I mean, everybody around him is astounded. They can't believe that this is the same guy. Because that was Paul's reputation. And his reputation was based on his past. Actually, later we find out that Paul, he tries to go to Jerusalem to meet with the Christians there, to meet with the church there, and nobody wants to hang out with him. Because they're like, I'm not hanging out with him. He's, uh, you know He drugged my sister out and put her in jail. I'm not hanging out with him. He's the one who is all about killing Stephen. Because of his reputation. See, many times what we've done in our past, we totally understand this, It just doesn't go away, right? It just doesn't go away. People around us, you know, just don't forget. Sometimes, a lot of times, it takes time. Time helps, but that doesn't erase what we've done. There are natural consequences for mistakes that we've made, they're there, it's real. Paul, I think, knew this better than anybody. He knew about regret maybe better than anybody. Later on in his life, he writes to a church in in a giant city called Corinth, and this is what he writes about himself. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Apostles just meaning somebody who Jesus appeared to after he died. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me, it wasn't in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What's he saying here? He's saying, Paul, Paul's saying, I was able to overcome my regret. I was able to overcome my past how? God's grace. God's grace. He's like, that's, that, that's how I was able to do it. I don't think we understand the concept of grace enough, which is kind of funny because that's the name of our church, you know, grace. But I don't think we understand what grace actually is. Grace is the kindness given by God to man. Grace is the kindness given to someone who does not deserve it who has not earned it in any way. It's really like one of the central themes throughout the Bible. I mean, God's grace. Why? Because all of us sitting in here, we're all messed up, sinful, jacked up people. Paul's saying the only way I'm able to overcome my past is grace. And then what I love about it here is he says, and the grace that God gave to me God's grace, he's like, I didn't waste it. I didn't waste it. He said, I used it, and I worked harder than anyone, than all the other church leaders have worked. I worked the hardest because I didn't want to waste the grace that God has given me. See, notice here, instead of, this is what a lot of us do when we're thinking about our past, and, and we got all these regrets, and it's just weighing us down and all this stuff. Well, well, and it's the opposite of what Paul does here. See, what we do is a lot of times we mope around and we're like, oh, you know. That's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't mope around. He doesn't, he doesn't sit down. And he's not dwelling on his past. He's not dwelling on his mistakes or his or his opportunities or maybe some stupid decision that altered the course of his life. Right? That's not what he's doing. Paul went to work. I'm not saying he went to his 9 to 5, you know, Monday through Friday job. No, Paul went to work doing the work that God told him to do, which, by the way, is the same thing that God has told us to do, which is to go and tell as many people as we possibly can about what Jesus has done for them. See, Paul, he got on the right track. But it wasn't easy for him. A lot of times we think to get right, you know, it's like, well, you know, it just happened. I'll just get forgiveness. No, that's not. It literally took work. It took some effort. So I don't know where you're at. If you spend your time thinking about your past and you spend your time thinking about your mistakes, your regrets and opportunities that you missed or maybe some stupid decision that you've made in the past that seemed to alter your life somehow. If you spend your time thinking about your failures, what I think you're forgetting is, I think you're forgetting about God's grace. I don't think you realize how good God's grace is towards you. See, some of us in here, what we need to do is we, just, we need to drop the God that we created in our mind. We need to embrace a God of grace, which is the one true God. And then we need to get involved with the church. We need to do life the way that God has called us to do life. We need to stop living in our messed up past. We need to move on. We need to go forward. See, the past, it affects your future, but your past does not define your future. Let's pray. God, we are messed up people. We're sick. We're jacked up. We're full of sin. We constantly are thinking about ourselves and and how everything will affect us. Lord, we're selfish people. But for some reason, you still came here, and some reason, you still died for us. some reason, you still called us, even though we've made so many mistakes in our past. Even though we've done so many things, you've advised us not to do. God, you still care about us. You're still trying to win us. And, God, we thank you for your grace, unmerited kindness that we don't deserve. We have not been able to earn in any way. You give to us freely because of your love for us. And, God, we thank you. And that, because of your grace, we're able to move on from our past. Because of your grace, because of you, because you've given us a job that we have work to do. God, we don't have to stay stuck in our past. We don't have to stay stuck thinking about our regrets. We can move on, and we thank you for that. Lord, we ask this to move on this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.